0: There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 female donkeys. And he had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. Shout amen. Please be seated. Lord, we ask that you speak to us, would you? Meet us in this place. Take broken flesh that you know so well and work a miracle. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let me begin by giving you just a real quick overview of, uh, talk a little bit about the book of Job. And uh, first of all, uh, who wrote it? Uh, The answer to that question is, we don't know. Uh, most likely a Jewish believer writing to a community that's really struggling with the question of unearned suffering and where is God at in all of that. Uh, uh, when was it written? Uh, we don't know. Uh, uh, the best guess that we have is uh, based on the fact that there's no mention of the, uh, of the, of the of the Jewish temple, or the Jewish law, or the of the, the priest that's priestly priestly rituals, it's probably written during the time of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the patriarch periods of time. And uh, wh- what kind of biblical uh, expression is the Book of Job? Uh, many scholars say that uh, it it's it's in the tradition of of uh, of Of the parables that Jesus spoke. You know Jesus would construct stories. Usually they start off with a certain man. He would construct uh, stories. Parables to use them. To teach profound sights. So many scholars see this book of Job. As a parable. That God uh, used people to put together. To convey some profound insight. About uh, suffering. And where God is. Others say uh, Job was a real person. And the book is based on. His experience. What well, is the theme of the book of Job? The theme of the book of Job, of course, is, on one level, it's 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 suffering. Everybody shall suffering. But uh, I think on a deeper level, on a deeper level, because I think it's written to a community of believers. So I think on a deeper level, the book of Job is really about faith formation. It is about how to go from one level of faith to what I call a mature. Faith. Everybody shout mature faith. Ask the person next to you, how mature is your faith? Ask them. How mature is your faith? We're going to come back to that in just a minute. The theme for this series is really captured in Job uh, 23.10. I love this particular verse. It's a fast, fabulous verse. Uh, Job is in the midst of suffering. He essentially says, I've looked for God from the east and west. I can't find him. And then he says this. is a wonderful thing that he says. He says, uh, for God knows, he says, for he knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, everybody shout test it, when he has tested me, I'll come forth as gold. In other words, all of us, when we get to the end of our season of suffering or the end of our life, we want to be gold medal winners in terms of having Held on to our faith in Jesus Christ. So, that's a bit about kind of uh, the book. Let me just say a word about the structure. If you read the book of Job, you'll find that it has some basic structures. There's a prologue that is really a split screen. Everybody say split screen. Did I say that right? Split screen. There you go. (laughs) The prologue. It's a fascinating prologue, Right? That that there's there's part of the prologue. There's one screen where you're watching, and there's a dialogue going on between God and Satan. And the dialogue basically is Satan essentially saying to God, uh, 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 "Does Job really kind of just it, 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 does he is he righteous because uh, of how good you've been to him? And 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 I bet you that if you stop blessing him, he's going he's going to curse you to your face. And so that's part of what's going on. And then in the other screen. Uh, all, um, all stuff is breaking out in Job's life. And he has no idea of what's going on, this conversation that's happening. And so Job and his friends are wrestling with this suffering. Where did it come from? But the reader knows, sees both sides of the screen. Everybody say split screen. And then from chapter 3 to 31, there are three cycles of dialogue that happens between Job and his friends. And then there is the epilogue, which I call Chapter Forty Two. It is Chapter Forty Two, but I like calling it Chapter Forty Two, because the word of uh, the the point is really this: No matter what kind of suffering you're going through, if you just keep trusting God, either in this life or the next, you will have a Chapter Forty Two. Tell the person next to you, God's got a Chapter Forty Two for you. Tell him. God's got a chapter 42. All right, let's, 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 uh, let's, let's, let's open up chapter 1. Let's see what kind of quick insights that we can get. If we're wrestling with uh, 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 kind of moving to a mature faith. All right, first thing you want to note is that the writer is uh, in what I call the description. Shout the description. The writer is establishing in verse 2 and 3 the point that Job... Uh, has been blessed. That's the point that he's trying to make. So, so he starts off by, by uh, 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 telling us about his family. He's got, uh, uh, he's got uh, seven boys and three girls, uh, ten kids in all. In the Hebrew world, those numbers reflect kind of ideal. So, Job has a wonderful ideal family. He's also wealthy. And the author goes through that. He's got seven. Uh, he's, got, uh, 7 000, what, he got? he's got seven thousand. What's got it? He's got seven thousand sheep and three thousand camels and five hundred teams of oxen and five hundred female donkeys. And he's got a whole host of servants. Uh, he, that means he's enormously wealthy. Shout wealthy! And The writer's just trying to say he's blessed. He's blessed. He's blessed. And then that verse actually ends by saying, in the NIV version, it says that uh, essentially uh, he, he's the greatest man uh, in the East. Here it says he's the, he's the richest man in the East. It really just talks about his wealth, but it's also talking about his reputation. He has a great reputation. Come by the shout, he's blessed. The writer's trying to reinforce this point. He says, I want to make it absolutely clear to you, this guy here, he's super blessed. And then uh, under the description, the guy's trying to make it clear that you understand that he's righteous. He's a godly man, he's a really good man. And you put verse one and verse four and five together, you figure that out. So verse one begins by simply saying that that, that Job is blameless. He is a man of complete integrity. In other words, he's Upright—that's how they translated. Uh, uh, so he's he's blameless. He's upright. He fears God. He he avoids evil, and he's a he's a, a faithful priest in his own house. And when his kids have parties, and they have the turntable on, and the room is smoky, and you know he can just hear it because they're down the street from him. The next morning he. He, 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 he does sacrifices for them just in case they offended God. That's the priestly role. And what the writer's trying to get you to see is that he's saying that because he's blameless and fully man of good integrity and he's priestly and he avoids evil and fears God in a reverential way, he is super righteous. Can you say righteous? He is really, really a good man. He is a godly man. To put it in contemporary terms, he pays his tithes. He shows up for church on Sunday morning. Uh, he, he honors his marriage. Whenever he sees women coming at him that is a flirting, he runs the other way. I mean, this is a brother that is righteous. All right, now here's the formulation. Because there's a subtle formulation that's going on. Here's, the writer's taking time to do this because he want to make a point. Here's the formulation. The Assumption is, Job is blessed because he's righteous. Let me say it again. Job is blessed because he's righteous. Or so flip it over. Because Job is righteous, he's blessed. Built in assumption if all of a sudden his life falls apart, it must mean that that's a sign that he is not what that is what's being tested as we work our way through the job text. Now, you got to come back. I'm gonna really unpack that. Come back next uh, week, a couple of weeks, because that's uh, that that fits right inside of what a lot of us think about how we think about our own lives. So, that's the description. Uh, Secondly, there's a dialogue that I find to be very interesting. Everybody shout dialogue. I love this dialogue. It's one of my favorite dialogues in the text. It raises some questions for me. Uh, So it says that uh, 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 the angels come before God and and, uh, and it says the Satan, actually in the Hebrew it's the Satan, there's an article there, the Satan, uh, which better translated the accuser, right? The, in a sense some people call him the prosecutor, but clearly the source of evil that's in the text says that, that he comes before God too. So my first question that I used to ask when I was reading this, I was like, what is Satan doing in heaven? Because like I'm trying to get to heaven and when I get there, I don't, I don't expect to find... <laughs> <laughs> this really messing me up here. But, of course, the text doesn't say that they're in heaven. It suggests that there's a meeting that takes place. So, God says, Satan, where are you going? Satan says, well, I'm going to and fro across the earth and essentially trying to figure out how I can mess up your stuff. And I thought, wow, isn't that great? God meets the source of evil, if you will, somewhere between up and down, somewhere between uh, yesterday and tomorrow, somewhere between your dreams and your nightmares. That, that's how we meet the enemy, isn't it? That's how we meet evil. It, it shows up somewhere between to and fro. And then the second part of the dialogue really is interesting to me because uh, back in my school when I was growing up, and mean kids, I was never one of these mean kids, uh, uh, would have dogs. And if there was somebody they didn't like, they would sick the dog. They would say, sick him. Come on, try that. Say, sick him. Yeah, sick him, sick him, sick him. As a matter of fact, I was the target of some of that every now and then. That's why I learned to be so fast. Had I been in the Olympics in that day, I would have definitely won a go. <laughs> uh, uh, and it seems to me that God is like sicking the enemy Satan on Job it's like, he's like well have you considered my servant Job he's blameless he's full of integrity he avoids evil he fears me what about him I said thank God is that how you brag on people please don't brag on me like that I'm sorry <laughs> Deeper read of the text. Come on. Job picks it up in, in chapter 23. Really, he captures it. Because what, what's really going on is that, is that God is, I think, initiating, watch this, an examination of Job's faith. He's just simply saying, Job, you think you've got one level of faith. I want to see how strong it is. I want you to see how strong your faith. Now, there's a central question that's, that, that, that is raised in this text. It's a good question for you and I to think about it. Here's the question. Here, verse 9. Here's what, here's what Satan says. Does Job serve you for nothing? In other words, here's the point. What he's saying is, of course Job is righteous. Look how you're blessing him. Stop blessing him. And he'll curse you to your face. Wow. Think about yourself. Why are you trusting God? Is it for the blessings that you expect to get from God? Let me just tell you, here's an evolution that happens in most of our faith as we walk with God. Most of us start at a point where we are trusting God for something. That's when we really come to, we're trusting God for marriage. We're trusting God for a job. We're trusting God for a raise. We're trusting God for a healing. Everybody shout, Trusting God. But if you live long enough, come on now. You have to get to a point in your faith where you will not just trust God for, and it's okay to trust him for, because he is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. But you and I will have to get to a place where we can trust God in spite of. Trust God despite the marriage has become a a divorce. Trust God despite I've lost my job. Trust God despite disease has broken out in my. Well, now that's a different relationship with God. And it is a relationship with God. Watch this, because this is what the enemy is suggesting. It is a relationship with God that is not based on God's blessings. It's based on God's character. There's something we used to say back when I was in Boston. We used to say, God is good. And all the time. All right, that's a deeply theological statement. It says God is good all the time. Means that God is good when I'm on the mountaintop, but it also means God is good when I'm in the valley. It means that God is good when I'm healthy, but God is also good when I'm unhealthy. That is a statement about God's character. And what Job is saying, uh, what what the, the challenge of the text is, Job, I think you only know God based on his blessings. I don't think you really know his character. I remember coming home, you know, wrap this up, you got to uh, tell the person next to you better hurry up, get back next week to get the rest of this, tell them, hurry up. <laughs> uh, I, I remember coming home years ago, my daughter was about seven years old, and uh, I had been traveling a lot, preaching a lot all over the place, and... Uh, I felt guilty, like a lot of parents, if you're traveling a lot, you feel guilty because, you know, your your child is grievous when you leave and so sad and so forth and so on. So the way I used to make up for it is I'd bring her gifts. And so (laughs) I'd always be in the airport somewhere looking for a good gift, spending three times the amount of money because... So whenever I would come home, my daughter would come down the stairs, and the woodbine she'd come down the stairs. And my goodness, she, when she'd hear the door open, daddy's home, she'd come down the stairs. She'd filled with such excitement. She'd have such gleam in her eye. And and, and and the first words out of her mouth is, Daddy, Daddy, what'd you bring me? What'd you bring me? And I'd open up the bag and she'd have it, she'd be gone so excited, she'd be all up in my arms. This is great, great. One day I had an insight. And so I didn't spend three times the amount of money in the airport. I just came home. When, when, when Lauren heard the door, she about seven or eight years old, she heard the door, she come down the stairs, down the stairs, Daddy, Daddy, I wish you could have seen it. The gleam was in her eye. Her body was pulsating with great excitement. And she says to me, Daddy, Daddy, what did you bring me? I said, I brought you me. I wish you had a thought. The light. Went out of her eye. <laughs> the joy dissipated from her life. She pulled back. Depression came. She didn't say it, but her sense was, is that all? <laughs> Stay with me. Several weeks later, several weeks later, Lauren was missing me again, just given my schedule. I'd come home. She used to be asleep. This is the early days of the iPhone, and you couldn't send a video uh, uh, picture, but you could send a, 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 a video, a voice video, voice memo. So she had her mama tape her, and she sent it to me. Mom texted to me. And the voice memo went like this. She said, Daddy, I love you. She paused. She said, Daddy... Get home tonight before I go to sleep. Then she said, don't be late. Because I want to see you. In the tape. Well, what was the difference between a few weeks ago when she wanted the gifts that I brought? Come on now. Versus a few weeks later when she just wanted me. I suggest that, that, that 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 in her own little world, she made a little discovery. Back in that day, we had her room was full of toys. She had she had uh, she had all these dresses that she used to dress up like princes and all that kind of stuff. But I think she discovered that it does not matter how pretty I look in the dress. It cannot compare to how good I feel when I'm in daddy's arms. Back in that day, she had, and she still does, she has all these stuff animals. Her, her bed to this day is covered with tons of stuffed animals and back then she talked to them. They'd have all kind of dialogues. But I think back in that day, I think she discovered, you know, there's a season where dialoguing with my stuffed animals are great. But, 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 but when I really need some affirmation, can anybody affirm me like I get affirmed when I'm when I'm with daddy, y'all. Come on. Uh, uh, back in that day, she had a big old dollhouse. It was a big old dollhouse that took up a big portion of the room and she she, you know, put all her little stuff in it. But I think she discovered, you know, no matter how beautiful the house is, no matter how warm it is, it's never a home, really, like it is when my daddy it got me in his arms. And so what's the teaching? The teaching is this. Blessings are all right. We always want God's blessings, yes. But blessings can never substitute for God. Part of this fast and part of how suffering works in the world, it's not the only answer to suffering, it's just a portion of it. Part of what suffering does is it it reminds us that there are places in life where the only thing that truly satisfies my heart, satisfies my soul, are not things, but God himself. His unconditional love, His incredible mercy, His grace that are without, that's without limits. Come on. And that there is a certainty that comes with knowing that if I can just know that I am His, suffering helps me to delineate between my having God for His blessings. And my just having God. Can you say amen? Amen. Give God a hand praise. That's where we're going in today.